This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope each conversation gives you a little something you can use in your everyday life, or maybe it's a big picture thing you can use in your life. So I am the mom of four boys myself. My kids are two, four, six, and eight, and I started this podcast because I had lots of questions and I've been podcasting for five years now. I have a running podcast called I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine where I interview professional and everyday runners. But I wanted a show that would focus more on parenthood and issues surrounding that. So I started Why Is Everyone Yelling? And if you have kids, you probably understand. Why is everyone yelling? Okay, that little intro was if you're new here. So if you're not new here, you knew all those things. Today you're listening to episode 36 and it's a special episode because I'm talking with my very own sister. I'm talking with my sister, Erica Sylvester. She is a writer, a podcaster herself. She hosts the podcast called Worth Your Time. She is the mom of two and she talks a lot about faith, politics, and addiction over on her social media, Erica underscore Anderson over there. Today in this episode, we talk about alcohol. Yikes. It is a topic that I feel like it's hard to talk about sometimes because in the world of addiction and things like that, it gets a free pass and there's a lot of discussion around mommy wine culture and things like that. And I'm someone who comes from a family that has struggled with alcohol addiction Um, My grandfather passed away because of his alcohol addiction and my other grandfather, um, he's been sober for like 35 years now. So this is something that runs in our family and so I've always been hyper aware of it. And eight months ago, my sister decided to just quit drinking altogether. And so this is the second time she's done it and there wasn't any like huge epiphany moment where something really terrible happened. It was kind of just a sequence of events and how she felt when she drank. And she's going to get into all of that in this conversation. Um, I first came into the mindset of being sober curious when I heard Annie Grace on Erica's podcast, the Worth Your Time podcast. Um, she is the author of the book called the This Naked Mind. And I learned a lot when I heard their conversation and I knew I wanted to dive into it a little bit more. So uh, this is a vulnerable conversation from my sister and myself a little bit. And so I don't know if any of you struggle with wanting to drink less or have a relationship with alcohol that you would like to change. But I think everything my sister talks about in this conversation is helpful and relatable in ways. And in just in the culture that we live in, it's It feels uncool to say you don't drink. And Erica is trying to change that. And I think she's doing a really good job about it. Uh, So uh, give this episode a shot and see what you think. I'm so curious to see what the audience here, what you all think of this conversation and just your thoughts on alcohol in general. So 
let us know what you think about the show. You can find us on Instagram. We have uh, the handle, why is everyone yelling? So come on over there and leave us a message and let us know what you thought about the episode. Okay, enjoy my conversation with Erica. Okay, well today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, I have a super special guest and it's my sister, Erica Sylvester. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. You're a professional podcaster yourself, so you know the drill. I don't know that I'm as professional as you, but you are (laughs) certainly my inspiration for podcasting, so I try. Well, Erica is my older sister. She's two years older than I, and we were just talking yesterday about the almost turning 40 crisis she's about to enter and I'm two years behind her and I'm already thinking about it myself (laughs) well you're not supposed to tell people that but I guess everyone knows now hi everyone I'll be 40 this year (laughs) um how are you feeling about that not great because really in my body I feel like I'm 25 like I don't feel any different I don't feel older I can't believe I'm this old it's a very weird feeling Well, it's just funny because I think that as we're like as we were younger, as you're younger, you look at ages and you have this like certain idea of what it is or what it will be. Or you you think about what your mom was like. And our mom has always been super youthful. But um, then you approach those ages and you're like, oh, I'm just I'm the same person. Yeah, you always thought of being 40 as being like super old. But honestly, I I don't feel old. I have little kids too. So that probably helps. And then I'm just active and healthy. And I don't have anything wrong with me. Thank God. I'm very lucky. So um, I just want to keep it that way. 40 is the new 30. There we go. Yep. Okay. So Erica has two kids, Jacob and Abby. They are five and three, correct? Yep. Yeah, I got it right. Cool. You're about to enter one in kindergarten for the first time. Yep. Kindergarten. We're going to public school. We're going to get rid of that $1,100 a month for daycare. Really excited about that. Oh my gosh. You've been living that life for a long time too. I, I just entered the full-time daycare waters, um, for the first time ever this year and man, it's expensive. Well, we did do almost a full year off with um, when I uh, left my last job. And then during COVID, I didn't have hardly anything at all. Um, But we went back in September and have been full time since January. And my business has picked up. So it's been good. Okay, so tell everybody. So Erica is a an author. And she's a like freelance extraordinaire. So tell everybody what you do. Yeah, so I sort of have a two-part business. One side is uh, my digital marketing and communications business. So I do copywriting, social media strategy, implementation, uh, email copy, all things communications for a variety of nonprofits. Most of my clients are small nonprofits. Um, And I love that because I love to be creative and I love working for myself. Like I never thought I could do it, but now that I do it, it's crazy and you do have to work all the time, but it's so much better than being tied to one place, I think. Um, And then the other side of my uh, work life is that I'm a freelance writer um, on my own terms and write for a variety of newspapers. And uh, I wrote a book a couple years ago. I have another book coming out next year. Um, and I love doing that and being able to have sort of both sides of, of, of that part of my career. Okay. So talk to us about meeting your husband and your motherhood story, because it was a little bit different than just trying to get pregnant and getting pregnant. 
Yeah. Well, I met my husband on Match.com, so uh, three cheers. I feel always feel like they should give me like um, a stipend or something. Yeah, yeah. For sponsor, a sponsor her match. <laughs> so we met eleven years ago um, from Match.com, and um, you know we we got married, and um, we knew that we were probably going to have trouble getting pregnant just for a variety of reasons. Um, and so we kind of gave it a little over a year, you know, see if it happens, but we were older, you know, we were already in our thirties, so we didn't want to wait too long. Um, and so ultimately we kind of decided between adoption and IVF, we weren't sure which way we were going to go. We looked into both and then we did do IVF. We pursued IVF. We went, did the whole thing, the whole shebang. Um, and it was extremely successful. Luckily, um, again, there we were, very fortunate that we were able to save enough money to pay for it because it is very expensive and it is not covered by insurance for most people and it wasn't for us. Um, but we were lucky enough that it worked the very first time and I got pregnant and I had my son in 2015. And then a few years or a couple years later, we were ready to try again and it worked again, thankfully. And so that's when we had my daughter. Um, so that's the short story, but we feel very fortunate that um, IVF was so successful for us because we know a lot of people it doesn't work out that way. Yeah, I always wonder. Um, it's like with uh, survivor's guilt. You know what I mean? Like, do you ever feel like I'm part of the fertility infertility community, but like it was relatively easy considering all things considered? Do, so do you feel like you're kind of in it, but one foot out? Yeah, I, I don't even really feel that much like I am in it. I mean, I can relate because I remember those days, um, especially it, it's always Target, right? Like it's always the pregnant ladies at Target. Yes. When, when you can't get pregnant, yes. like every woman at Target is pregnant. Yes. And then the same thing at church. I remember one morning at church, like there was all these pregnant ladies and I was, I just started crying because I was like, I'm so afraid that that's never going to happen to me. And I was totally up for adoption. Like we were going to do that. And I think that's an amazing option. Um, but you know, like a lot of women, like I just had that desire to feel and experience pregnancy. Like I just wanted to experience it if I could. Um, and so I'm thankful that I got to, but I, I do recognize how easy it was for me. And I know plenty of people that didn't have that. Like I know one girl that had to do like eight different rounds and finally it worked for her. Thank goodness. I was so happy for her. Um, but most people don't have it as easy as we did. Yeah, it's always those dang pregnant ladies, those annoying pregnant ladies. And and now I'm like, <laughs> you know, not planning to get pregnant again. But now I sort of even have like these pangs of like wanting to be pregnant again. Because again, I, I'm so lucky in so many ways. I actually really liked being pregnant. Oh. And I, outside of the first trimester, which was yeah. like, you know, horrific nausea, but the second and third trimesters, I just, I love being pregnant. I think it's such a cool thing. And I didn't really have any negative major negative side effects in the second and third trimesters. I feel like you're an anomaly. I might be. No, I've heard other people say that too. A lot of people get hugely pregnant and And I just was never, yeah, I was never really big. So that probably was why. But tell us what, when you guys did seek out adopting an infant, what the, the, um, like foster, you were going to do maybe through foster care or something, but what did, what did they tell you about that? Well, when we started to look into adoption, um, we started to get ready for a home study. We actually lived in a one bedroom apartment at the time. And they were like, you have to be in a two bedroom, like from the start to show mm. that you have a room for a baby. Oh, I didn't so we know that. Move, yeah. We, so we moved immediately to a two bedroom apartment to make sure that we would pass the home study. Um, and you know, I just said to my husband, like, do you want to do adoption or IVF? What do you want? And he was basically like, it's up to you. 
And I'm like, okay, well, that's like a really big decision. But he really yeah. he literally didn't care. He was Aww, willing to go I either direction. But for me, um, you know, I've said this to you before, probably um, because my husband, you know, had a horrific traumatic childhood and he never had a father and he had an abusive mother. Um, I thought it was really, I know there was something in me that said it's really important for him to have a kid that mm. is his, that looks like him. And and I know that's very superficial and I'm, I totally know that adopted kids are your kids, Yeah, but there was just something about giving him like that bloodline thing because he was so detached from the rest of his family um, that I thought, okay, this is the direction we're going to go. So all that being said, once we had Jacob, our son, um, when we were looking into getting pregnant again, I again went to an adoption class and the lady said, you are not going to be saving anybody by adopting a newborn baby. Everybody wants a newborn baby. And so if you, if you're doing this to like be a good person, like that's not why you should be doing it. And it's not why I was doing it, but I sort of was like, well, we could help somebody and we could get our second child. Yeah. But then I thought, yeah, she's making a good point. Like a healthy newborn baby is going to be adopted. Right. So, um, so we ended up going back the IVF route and, um, and since then have considered foster care and that may be something we do in the future, but right now our kids are insane. And so we're going to hold <laughs> off. <laughs> Um, and Erica wrote a book about her husband's childhood that she brought up. It's called Leaving Cloud Nine. You guys can check that out if you're interested. And so one of the other things I wanted to talk about today is kind of, it's not a hot topic, but I feel like it's kind of being talked about quite a bit more recently is the topic of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I, recent, I recently mentioned this on a podcast I did on All Have Another with Sasha Wolf, and we were talking about um, it was it's Mental Health Awareness Month in May, and I asked her about alcohol, and she runs an organization called Still I Run. Check that episode out if you guys are interested in running or mental health awareness at all, because we don't actually talk about running that much in that episode. Um, but anyway, I I kind of mentioned in that episode, like I feel like alcohol gets a free pass, you know, and I had a couple people reach out and say, thank you for mentioning that. I feel like that, too. So Erica and I have a history of um, alcohol abuse in our family. So this has always been something that both both of us have been very aware of. Both of our grandparents, our grandpas on both sides of our family struggle with alcohol addiction. And so we've kind of always known this is this has been in the forefront of our minds. So Erica, why don't you share with us, you've been alcohol-free for how long? Eight months this time. <laughs> what was the last time? So the last time I went six months and then I gave up and then I started back again and now I'm at eight months and I'm feeling really strong about it now, much stronger than I did the last time. Okay, so I feel that typically... When someone's like, oh, I'm eight months sober or whatever, it's because they went into this big downward spiral. They went to rehab or whatever. Their family had to come to Jesus and they're like, hey, um, we've noticed there's a problem here. But your experience is actually not that at all. So share with us how you came to this point in your life. Okay. So I started thinking about quitting drinking when I was 18. <laughs> 
18 before the legal age. Okay, normal. Right, right. Good. So I started drinking in high school like most people do. Um, Don't listen, <clears throat> dad and mom. We did not drink oh. before we were 21. Oh. Never. I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they're well aware of that by now. But <laughs> yeah, just a normal high school kid and, you know, got drunk for the first time in high school when I was like 16 or 17. And, you know, I just wanted to be a kid. But as soon as that started happening, um, I started going to parties and stuff. I started to feel like this is not right. And my faith is a part of that because I felt like as a Christian, like I feel like I shouldn't be doing this. And it wasn't even like, oh, this Bible verse says it It was just like, there's something that's not right about this whole getting drunk thing. And, you know, again, it's not about the drinking necessarily, but more about the what the drinking does. And so um, I said, okay, well, when I go to college, I'm going to quit drinking, which is hilarious that I would think that. Uh, because of course, college is like the most drinking you'll ever do. So and you I went, went to, to IU, college. so like it's... I went to party school. Yeah. Um, and so I would have, you know, and I didn't drink like all the time, but it would be like when I did go out and drink, I would just get completely hammered and just like have horrific hangovers and you know blackouts and you know, and that's somewhat you know normal for college. Like people do that all the time in college. And so nobody is going to think that you have a problem. Like I was passing my classes. I worked almost full time. Like I was a very productive member of society and always have been. So I went to college that, you know, did that whole thing, um, made it out alive, graduated, um, went into the uh, ultimately went into the professional working space in Washington, D.C., which if you know anything about Washington, D.C., it's like probably I think it's listed as either the number one or number two, like most alcoholic town in the country. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, because it's like all about the happy hour, right. and the snoozing and then networking. I mean, there's a happy hour literally every day where you can get free alcohol for if you're an intern, which is where I started, or if you work on Capitol Hill, which is where I worked later. Um, I mean, it's just nonstop drinking in DC. So um, so I kind of lived that life. I went out with my friends. It's all about going out in your 20s. And so Again, it wasn't that I couldn't keep a job. It wasn't that I was ruining my life, but I was uh, not making good decisions. I had a couple of experiences where, um, you know, I was pretty ashamed of my behavior later. Um, I, I remember one particular time I was like, oh my gosh, I have to stop drinking. Like, I can't ever let anything like that happen again. And it was just sort of like me making a fool out of myself, like, falling down and, you know, just a horrific drunk situation where luckily nothing else happened, but I I stopped drinking for 30 days. And that was literally the most I'd ever taken off drinking until I was pregnant, which was at least 10 years later. So I I had only 30 days was the max I'd ever quit drinking um, until I was 34. Okay, pause. Tell everybody just, this is kind of a side note, but what was your, what were you doing in DC? Like what were your jobs there? So I worked for um, a member of Congress in D.C. on Capitol Hill in the communications department. And I also I had a variety of jobs, but one of them was working in the comms department on Capitol Hill. Um, Then I worked at a big uh, policy think tank and then I worked at a magazine. So I sort of was running the whole gamut of the communications, political communications sphere. Okay, go on. So, yeah. So here and there, I would say, man, I should quit drinking. I need to quit drinking. And if you it kind of transitioned from so I grew up and as a teenager in my early 20s, like I had an eating disorder and that was sort of you know the definitive thing for me then. But when I sort of got over the eating disorder, in a way, I transitioned that to drinking. 
um, it, it sort of went from one way of numbing to another way of numbing. And um, it was something that I wrestled with all the time. If you look back at my journals, it's like prayers. I'll like, God, please like take this away from me. I don't want to drink anymore. And um, I, I wish I didn't want to do this. How am I, And I would think like, how, how could I ever stop drinking? Like, that's crazy. Drinking is in everything. It's, you know, you can't, you can't go on vacation without drinking. You can't go to a wedding without drinking. You can't have Christmas without drinking. I mean, literally everything. You're like, oh, it doesn't sound fun. I can't do that. People will think I'm weird. And so every excuse in the book. But I got to a point um, after my daughter was born um, where I just decided this is getting to be too much. I was drinking every day and I was feeling awful. And I started Googling around to try to figure out like what I've got to do something about this. Like I've got to moderate. There's got to be a way to moderate. You know, what is, I got to, I don't want to stop drinking, but like, how do I like drink less? Yes. And so that's That's what what we all want to know. Right. And that's what, you know, that led me to, um, Annie Grace and the snake in mind. And that's really where my, my real journey with this began. And that is when I first started paying attention to that as well, because I listened to you interview Annie Grace. So Erica has a podcast called Worth Your Time, and she has an episode with Annie Grace, who is the author of, is it called This Naked Mind? Yeah, it's called This Naked Mind, and then she has one called The Alcohol Experiment. Okay. And I was really blown away by that episode. I think of all of the all of your podcasts that I've listened to, that's probably the one that I enjoyed the most and got me thinking the most. And um, yeah, so tell us about like what you learned from her. Well, you know, her marketing is amazing. So she basically speaks to exactly like your pain point, like, oh, you want to drink less? Okay, like, let's talk about it. And she starts it off with like, do this 30 day experiment where you don't drink for 30 days. And so everyone can get on board with that, right? Like 30 days, it doesn't sound like that much. Like you should be able to do that. Just like get your body healthy again. Um, But it's kind of like once you get into the 30 day experiment, which includes, I believe, daily videos, and I think it's free too, uh, daily videos, daily emails, you start and you read her book, you start to learn about alcohol and what it is and what it does to your body and why you want it every day when you drink it um, because it's an addictive substance and it's actually poison. And you start thinking about what it does to your body. And the thing about alcoholism or not even necessarily alcoholism is that we blame ourselves. We're like, oh, I'm so weak. I'm like, mm-hmm. why am I like this? Mm-hmm. And, and we think that it's our fault. Well, it's not our fault because alcohol is an addictive substance. It's the, it's the alcohol's fault. It's not your fault. So when I'm drinking every day, I want to drink every day. That craving that I get the next day at five o'clock is because my body's like, okay, it's time. Like this yes. is what, it, it, it's time for more. And when you don't give your body that, it starts to think, it, when you're addicted to something, your body starts to think it needs it to survive. And so when you don't give your body that, then you suffer because your body is saying, I need that to survive. That's obviously not true. You don't need it to survive, but your body doesn't know that because you've been giving it an addictive substance. So it believes that it needs it to power through stress, to power through the evening. And so um, that's why it's so hard when you're like, well, I'm not going to drink on the weekdays. I'm going to wait till the weekend. Yeah. But, but you're like, but you're still giving your body that addictive substance. And why now eight months into sobriety, like, I don't think about alcohol. Like, at 5 o'clock, like, alcohol is nowhere close to my brain because my body is like, 
doesn't need it anymore. So it's so, it's hard, right? Because what you mentioned earlier, the the social pressure of alcohol, we're having a cookout, we're having a get together, I'm going to an event, I'm going on vacation. And I think a lot of us would like to say, oh, I just drink socially, right? Um, but somewhere along the lines, and this isn't for everybody listening, but I think a lot of people, especially when they had kids, because my husband and I, Glenn and I, we often go back. I'm like, when did we start drinking more alcohol? And it definitely started to be more once we had kids. You get to the end of the day and you're like, oh, okay, glass of wine. And there's this whole like mom culture, like, oh, just go have some wine. And it's like, okay, no, go for a run. You know, <laughs> like I honestly do both. And, um, I'm purposely very, like, I'm very cognizant of like my alcohol, alcohol intake. And I try to drink less, but I do think right when you step into motherhood, um, that is a huge thing that people say to you, Oh, you just need to go have a glass of wine. Yeah. People say it all the time. Like it's no big deal. And that's, maybe that's good for a person that like literally has like a serving of wine in a glass. Right, like one five-ounce serving. <laughs> but that that's not typically what you're going to find. And I really, like, I am one of those people that I don't relate when you're like, I don't want one. Like, I don't want a five-ounce glass of wine no. or whatever. Like, I, I'm probably, if I pour a glass of wine, it's going to be, I don't know, at least a one and a half of that or double. And usually, it's going to be like half a bottle if I'm yeah. making dinner or whatever. Um, and sometimes I stop there. But there are other times when I didn't. And there are plenty of nights where I woke up in the middle of the night like sweating or I had a headache mm-hmm. or I didn't sleep well. Um, and I was just like that's that was sort of my breaking point for me at one point. I had been drinking every day and I was struggling to stop. And again, it, I wasn't, you know, taking shots of vodka. I wasn't like hiding out in the closet. You know, it's like p- perfectly public. Nobody I've, it's never caused a problem in my marriage for me. It has never caused a problem professionally. It's never caused a problem at all outside of my mental space. But I woke up one night in the middle of the night and I was like, why are you doing this? Stop doing this. Yes. And so, you know, I got up the next day, like chugged a bunch of water. And that was the beginning of my first six months. And um, but what happened was COVID hit and then summer hit. And then everybody was drinking and I was like, oh, you know, like I can want to have alcohol by the pool. Yeah. Right. And so I started drinking again. But then I, I, you know, and at first it was fine. But then over time, it started to go right back to what it was where I wanted it every day. And I found myself making excuses. Oh, I just need to go get something at Target. But also when I'm at Target, I pick up wine Um, because I never kept alcohol in my house because I didn't want to. I was afraid I would drink it all the time. It's easy when it's just there. Right. So I would always have to go buy it. But then it was like, now I'm buying wine all the time. And I don't like when my husband drinks. And then he drinks more when I drink. So it was just like, so I said, I found myself one night. I had a big interview for something for work the next day. And I was like making all these rules as a wolf. I have like two now. And then I come home and eat. And then I was just like, what are, what are you doing? Why are you playing this game? Like, just don't drink. Stop. Um, like you have an interview at 8 a.m. Like you don't need to drink. And so that was the beginning of my eight months now, which I started as a 30 day thing. I was like, I'm, oh, I'm just going to do sober October. It was sober October. And um, 
and I just step by step, I've continued. And now here I am and I'm got my eye on a year now. Yeah. I, I, I have so many emotions about this and my Glenn's always like, you're so in your head about alcohol. And I'm like, you would be too, if it was such a, you know, like our grandpa on my dad's side of the family, he, he died because of alcohol. Like he, had cirrhosis of the liver and he died at 70 or was he 70 or 72? He was young, you know, young, relatively young. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And so it's like, it's a, it's a and big deal. And our other grandpa like could have ruined his life. He only stopped drinking because of like a miraculous like experience with God where he like literally stopped drinking cold turkey one day, like at church, he had like this moment. And then, I mean, that's what I, I think I'm getting that story right. Um, well, it was when he, our grandma, our grandma had, was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and had very low survival chances. And it was a miracle that she survived. Yeah. And so it's amazing that he stuck with that. And that was, you know, I don't know, 35 years ago or something, 30 to 35 years ago. And, um, and so who knows what would have happened if he hadn't stopped drinking because they had all kinds of issues in their family. Like, you know, my mom could tell you about growing up with that. So, um, so yeah, there's that. And then there's just, you know, sort of problematic drinking that we've seen in various parts of our family. Um, and you know, our dad drinks every day and he's fine. Like he, he doesn't like, (laughs) he's like kind of like a happy drinker is what I call dad. Um, and, but I don't like it. I don't like how he drinks every day. And I think it's bad for his body. And we're just, I, I just feel like that I have addictive tendencies in general. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's our mom, she had us when she was, she had Erica, my sister here when she was 19, me when I was 20, when she was 21 and our younger sister, when she was like 23, 24. And she really just quit drinking when we were little, very little, because she saw what it would do to our family. And I oftentimes think about what our life, how different our lives would have been if our mom, because she was so young and, you know, like, like Jamie B. Golden on the podcast always says, like, you're prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until no. you're what, like 25? So, 25. Yep. Yeah. So like she was still at the age where you're not really like totally at a fully an adult yet. And so I oftentimes wonder like how different would our childhood have been if she would have continued drinking on like our dad drinks and well, not, not that our dad, right. Not that our dad ever did anything bad to us or abusive to us or anything. He's amazing. But if both parents would have continued on drinking so much, I mean, you just, you're not as attentive or you're not as, I always feel like my patience is so short with my kids if I'm drinking. So yeah, just shout out, shout out to mom there before her prefrontal cortex was fully formed. Shout out to mom who probably won't even listen to this, but no, she won't. um, Because she doesn't like podcasts, okay? Uh, but and we're not dogging to- on our dad. We have an amazing dad. No, no, no. Yeah, we we love our dad, and he is is great. And you know, we're. I, I mean, I think we're. He's lucky that alcohol did not. You know, it, it can turn people into a monster. Yeah. And and it's again, I go back to it's not really their fault because the way it affects people is different. Like 
like you, you talk about how like Glenn can drink a beer, drink beers, and like you, nobody you, would ever know he's nobody been drinking. Nobody would ever know. Never, but, even if he had five, six, seven, nobody would ever know. Right, but then there are other people that can have two drinks. Oh, and you and, can tell in a second. And you're like, uh, you're annoying. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. One you drink, know? and you're like, who are you? Who did you become? Yeah, and and that is not anybody's fault, but we're all affected differently. I mean, alcohol is just so different. Your body chemistry, like what you've eaten, like where you are in life. It's also affected by your emotional state. Like I remember thinking like, man, how come it can be so fun when I go out drinking with my friends, but then I can get like really depressed or it's not the same at all when I'm drinking alone. And it's because it's, it's very based on like so many things in your brain and your body and all of it, it can just turn into a perfect storm. Like drinking can go to fun to very destructive um, in, in a very short amount of time. Um, so, okay, lead me back to where I need to go right now. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> forgot where I was going with this. Well, I was just, I was just kind of like interjecting with how our lives could have been so different had mom, you know, gone down that that road like continue to drink because she really I mean until we were well into college I don't remember ever one time seeing mom with an alcoholic beverage in her hand yeah I don't really remember it and now it's like still almost nothing like she drinks like a glass she drinks like a wine or like a wine cooler but I don't ever see her get drunk or anything it's one of those things where as growing up you think of your parents not as like superhuman but you think they kind of like they're not fearful of things they know everything they're you know they're your person to go to and as like I approach the age I'm like the age which again our parents had us really young that my mom was when I graduated high school I'm and I still in some ways feel like the same like 25 year old you know that I was over 10 years ago it's like oh my gosh they're just humans too. And I think when you're a kid, you look at your parents as these like not, you know, like just at a totally different level. Oh yeah, you do. I mean, I, you probably remember, like I used to write like these fawning, like, oh my gosh, I have the best parents. Like I'd write these essays at school. And I mean, I do think I have great parents, like don't get me wrong, but I didn't see where they could go wrong because I was so like, oh, your parents, you know, know everything. And um, now I definitely have some places where we disagree on a few things, but I still <laughs> respect them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So in regards to, and, and by the way, this podcast is not to shame anybody for drinking and I am not sober like Erica. I drink on a pretty regular basis. I, I try to drink like three times a week, which, um, maybe that's a vulnerable thing to say that, I, you know, have to like actually think to do that. Like I'm going to drink on the weekend or maybe if my girlfriends are meeting on the porch, but I have gone through phases where I drink a solid like five, six days a week on a very regular basis. And same thing with you. I would, I, my, my night, my nighttime anxiety, which I've always struggled with nighttime anxiety is through the roof when I'm drinking like consistent days like that all the time and I sleep so much better when I don't drink alcohol so I don't know like why we got into that routine and why like you know like last yesterday I was like it's Memorial Day it's a day off like I should have a drink but I I was out running errands and like doing things I was at your house I got home at almost seven and I'm like I don't need to have a drink right now I'm like gonna go to bed in two hours what you know 
And so I just think we get into this like cyclical routine and you think that's the norm. So you do it. But it's like if your anxiety is worse because you have wine or whatever it is, why do you like go back into that trap? And honestly, side note, there's another a hu- another huge problem in like the medical field because I think a lot of times doctors without even like realizing that this is a huge problem in our country are like, let's just have a glass of wine to relax. And it's like, don't say that to your patients, please. Well, okay. Two things. One, um, as one of my favorite people to follow on this, Laura McCowan says, um, drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on your anxiety. Yes. And it feels uh, good for an hour. It feels good for an hour. Yeah, ultimately, it's going to make everything worse. Um, And then number two, um, the increase in women um, dying alcohol-related deaths are so high. Well, and I feel like that's not really talked about. It's not. And the other thing is, you were talking about people's doctors. Doctors do not inquire about alcohol use. First of all, people lie. They don't at all. And everybody lies. People lie when you fill out those forms. They're like, how many, how much alcohol do you drink? Do you think I ever told the truth on that? I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm a social drinker, like, oh, one or two a week. That definitely wasn't true. And most people are not going to tell the truth. And I think especially with postpartum moms um, or just moms in general, I think it should be more of a concern where they're like kind of poking a little bit more. I mean, it's like you, the smoking, I mean, you'll hear about smoking nonstop and smoking is so bad. Man, nobody ever talks about alcohol. And and I've seen these memes and stuff flooding around that's like when you say, Oh, I quit smoking, people are like, Great, good job. Or like, you know, when you say, Oh, I'm I'm going vegetarian or like I'm doing gluten free or whatever, people are like, Oh, that's awesome, good for you. And you're like, Well, I'm not drinking anymore. And people are like, Why? Do you have a problem? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Totally. Like and and it's because it's so culturally ingrained in us. It's also because people are very self-conscious about their own drinking habits. Totally. Nobody wants to admit that, yeah, probably not drinking is probably better for me. It's the one acceptable drug. It is a drug. And um, especially the wine, the mommy wine culture stuff is absolutely ridiculous. You and I have talked about some of these reels and TikToks that have, that go around of like the mom drinking out of a wine bottle with a straw <laughs> or just like the bot, I saw one where the mom had like, um, you know, workout pants on with the pockets where she was like yeah. hiding wine bottles in her pockets and stuff. And it's like, oh, that's, that's hilarious. Except for it's not hilarious because <laughs> first of all, it's not responsible. But if you think about it, like you are lowering your mental capacity, you are numbing out, you aren't going to respond to things or be as observant as you would. And so, um, you know, for that reason, among many others, um, I don't want that in my house. I don't want my kids to see us drinking. Um, a Brene Brown is sort of the one that put this thing in my head. She's sober. They don't drink. And she said, you know, I know I can't stop my kids from drinking, but what I can do is, you know, I'm not going to have it in my house. And because of that, they're un- they're less likely to drink as young kids or, you know, become problem drinkers themselves. Um, and so I always thought about that. Um, I don't want to have that in my house. I don't want it to be a normalized thing. And I want to, you know, I want my kids to be informed about the truth about what alcohol is and what it can do. And I feel like sort of a killjoy saying that. And I don't want people to like <laughs> run away from me don't because I still, your kids. I mean, I still hang out with people that drink. I just went on vacation with my best friend and like she had some margaritas 
You hang out with me. I hang out with you. I, (laughs) you know, I've been getting better at going places. Like I went out to dinner the other night with my husband and, um, I asked, I said, can you guys make me a mocktail? So I let myself have whatever fancy Then you have like a fun drink still. Yeah. And the thing is, is like I get, I'm like, especially when I go out to dinner, like I used to not enjoy my food that much because I was so focused on getting that drink. Yeah. And now I really enjoy my food more and that's more important to me than the drink. Um, And before it would be things like, well, if somebody would suggest like, well, let's go somewhere, you know. And, and if the place didn't have alcohol, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 we can't go there. Like, you you can't go somewhere that doesn't serve alcohol because that's, like, what's the point of going then? You know, everything was related to can we get the alcohol? Um, and I just uh, – sorry, like, one little tangent. My neighbor's daughter just had a wedding this past weekend, and I was talking with her mom about it. And I said, oh, so did they, like, have wine and stuff? She said, no, they didn't have any alcohol. And I said, are you serious? Like, I was taken aback. Like, I was like, how could you – how could you have a wedding without alcohol? Like I'm not even, I've never been to one. Yeah. Like <laughs> people do it. And they're Barbie and she's Towner, 20, our aunt. Yep, she, she's a 23 year old girl. And I was shocked. And she said, Oh, well it's just cause they would have had to pay for it themselves. And I'm like, it's like so expensive. Wouldn't have been a question for me though. Like yeah. I still, I like get that time. That I still happen. would have been like, you can't have a wedding without alcohol. But I'm like, wow, that's so cool that they didn't have alcohol and at their wedding. Care like and, what other people thought there's a stigma. Oh, and then one other thing I was going to mention is someone said the other day, I don't remember where I heard this, but they were like, why is it that like the very best memories in our lives, the things that we're going to cherish forever, like we're sort of erasing some of those memories. Like the things we want to remember most clearly are sort of fogged up by alcohol. Like, you know, your wedding, Christmas, birthday parties, like, I don't know. She's talking about my wedding. (laughs) Well, I definitely don't remember your wedding. <laughs> I remember it though. I think I probably only had like two drinks on my wedding. Well, hopefully at your own wedding, you're like keeping it in check. It wasn't my wedding. I was not in check. That was Mom and I were the only two members of our family. Grandma Carol. <laughs> well, but I mean our immediate family. You, Shelby, our younger sister, and dad. I think mom and I were the only people that felt not hung over the next day. I mean, I was so sick. And plus, you know, um, that's another problem for me. Not everybody has this, but I black out um, sometimes, not often, but I have blacked out and I blacked out the night of your wedding and don't remember things that happened. And that was really scary because I don't know who took me home. Uh, I don't know how I got there. Uh, So it's like stuff like that, like that there's something wrong with that. Like I shouldn't be living a life where somebody takes me home and I don't know who it was. And I still to this day. So here's my question with that. Like, how do you feel now at 39 saying that, knowing that like people you respect and like family members might listen to this? Well, I've been being pretty open about it for the past year. So I've sort of like, you know, pushed it into conversations with our family members. Um, You know, there may be a few people that are like sort of surprised, but I mean, everybody has known that I have, you know, drank like that's just like, it's obvious. Um, so I don't know that anyone would be surprised. I'm not like divulging my deepest, darkest secrets or anything. So, yeah. you know, there are things that I'm not saying necessarily. Um, but, you know, so, you know, to say like, I mean, there there were times that I drove when I shouldn't. Um, you know, I could have, you know, ruined my life or ruined someone else's life. And so there are things like that. Um, and even just thinking about my kids, like, what if I wasn't paying attention or, if something happened to one of my kids, and even if it wasn't because I was drinking, right? But you I were drinking. Wonder, 
what if I what if I hadn't been drinking? Would I've been paying more yes, attention? Yes. Yes. Um, and I am, you know, I, I, so many people are prone to go to a Christmas party, have a couple of drinks, and drive home. Now, still, probably people listening are like, "Yeah, I've done that, and I shouldn't do that." Well, that could really like, like ru- that could ruin your whole life. I well, mean, right, even if you're not drunk, but then something does happen, like you were saying. But like, maybe it would have happened if had you not been drinking. But like, you'll never know. Right. Exactly. And and even if you do, get, if you were to get in an accident and it wasn't your fault, you still get the blame if you're drinking and you could go to jail. Uh, it could change the whole trajectory of your life. We have a friend who got a DUI and he blew like a .0, oh, like right over, literally right over. And I don't remember if they had just had their second or third baby, but he didn't have his license for an entire year. And like coworkers would be picking his kids up from daycare. Like it was a big, big, huge inconvenience and I say that knowing that like it could have been worse but like he definitely wasn't drunk he just blew over and um I mean huge disruptor very expensive also oh yeah yeah and I know someone who um had a situation in high school where they were driving drunk and someone was killed and they became sober after that but like how do you live like that how do you live with the weight of that on your shoulders for the rest of your life I don't know and I don't really know the details of the story I just know that it happened but um but things like that can happen and I'm not saying I'm not saying that's I don't think that was going to happen to me or I'm not saying you should quit drinking for that reason and if you don't have a problem then you know you'll probably just won't even listen to this episode um (laughs) but but if you think about it and you're like Oh, that's interesting. You're like, I want to hear more about this Annie Grace thing. It's yes. like just it's sober curious. Like that's what sober it's curious. I like that. Be sober curious. It doesn't mean you have to go. I'm going to quit drinking. Like that's what I was for like three years. I was sober curious. I was learning about it. Um, and then you know it took me several tries to get to the six months. Then I gave up. Now I'm here at eight months. Will it be forever? I mean, I hope so, but I don't know. You know, but if it's not. I, I need to be able to start it again um, and, you know, not not make it a big deal. And so I'm the other thing I also want to mention is what's really helped me this time around is I'm in a group. It's called The Luckiest Club. Um, it's Laura McCowan runs it. I absolutely love it. It's like, you know, I did go to a couple AA meetings before COVID. I had just sort of dipped my toes in the water of that because I really wanted to have that community. Um, and that is was like the most intimidating thing I've ever done. I was like terrified. Did you say my name is Erica and I'm an alcoholic? No, I didn't say that because I didn't want to say that and I felt weird. Um, But I went with a friend who she was nice enough to come with me. She had gone to a couple and um, I only got, only went to two and then COVID happened. Oh Uh, yeah. 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 And so then they shut them all down. I, I assume they're probably meeting again, but during COVID I found the luckiest club Okay, and they have daily meetings. I think they have three to four meetings per day um, that are one hour long and they're led by a discussion leader. And there's usually like 200 to 300 people on these calls and you can raise your hands to share. Um, and I go to a meeting a day, I would say. One you meeting do? A day. Yep. If I can. How I long are they? They're an hour. And so I can pop in and pop out. Like usually I drop my kids off at like 8.15 or 8.30. So I'll only catch like the last 30 minutes. But you get on there and you have people that are on day one. You have people that are on year 20. Uh, Most people are somewhere in the middle. But people are on there and they're like bearing their souls. And you're like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that's trying to do this. Or like this, it just gives you so much perspective and insight into other people's lives. And like, 
I'm not alone. And like, even if I have to start over, like there's 20 people on this call that are on day one or week one. And it's just, it has made all the difference for me. And I think that's why I've been able to get to eight months. Um, I also read tons of memoirs and that is another uh, thing that keeps me sort of, it's a, it's a toolbox, right? It's a toolbox. And my toolbox is like the meetings, the books, um, prayer and my faith life. Um, it's, uh, yoga, it's breathing, it's meditation, uh, like the senses, like if you're having a triggering moment, like to, 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 they say like touch something, smell something, feel something, hear something, get out of your head. And so you have to actually do those things and it will work. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. Beam Dream Blend is something that I drink every single night before bed. And it's actually been really helpful in me not drinking as much alcohol because I look forward to my dream blend every night. It's like a fun drink I get to look forward to that also helps me go into a deep, restful sleep. Honestly, I feel like part of the drinking alcohol in the evening thing is like because you want something to look forward to. And guess what? You can look forward to Beam instead and it's so much better for your body. Their Dream Boosting Blend helps your body and mind wind down for a deeper night's sleep with relaxing compounds like melatonin, magnesium, and L-theanine, I probably said that wrong, plus their nano CBD powder. This is a soothing addition to the nighttime routine. It's what dreams are made of. Listen, I really am sleeping better than I've ever slept before, and I do take this every night. I just warm up some hot water on the tea kettle, and then I pour it in and mix in the Dream Blend, and I feel peaceful and relaxed in the evening. You all can check it out. They also have a really great hydration line if you're into working out and you need those electrolytes replaced in your body. Definitely check out their hydration line. I love their recovery mix. It's so tasty and refreshing. You can save 15% off all of their products when you go to beamtlc.com and use the code LINDSAY15. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 at checkout. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Erica. So I think that my biggest question is, and I know you're not like this like alcohol expert, you're sharing your life experience, but like I wonder if there is a healthy way to drink alcohol? Um, I think the only healthy way is if you don't think about it and like, it's not, it's not something you're like, like you're, you're obsessing. I'm not saying you're obsessing, but you're thinking about it. And so that's not healthy. That's not healthy mentally that you're like having this mental struggle like, with should it. Should I have a drink tonight or should I not? Like why? I should- mean, I think it's like, there are some people that may have like, oh, I have red wine with dinner a lot and that's it. And that's just like their drink, like, like a milk or whatever. Um, but in general, it is a, it is a toxic substance. You're like all these studies that come out are like, red wine is great for you. Like those are right. generally the five like, ounce funded serving. by like the wine industry <laughs> and like always take, always be skeptical of those. And hardly anyone that is like cheering that on is drinking five ounces of wine, like three times a week. Um, so the best bet, honestly, like if you want to be completely safe is to not drink alcohol, but I understand that's extremely overwhelming to think about. And if you would have told a couple years ago, I remember thinking I've got to quit. 
and I'm going to quit someday, but I just don't know how. It's, I just don't know how. I, don't, I can't imagine not drinking. I just can't imagine my life without alcohol. And then I thought, are you still going to be doing this when you're 75 years old? Right. Are you still going to be having this, dr- this, this drama in your head about how much can I have and waking up with a hangover and like, like, do you want to be doing this till you die? Because you are going to be doing this till you die unless you quit. And so I hope that this is it. Like, I hope that this is it for me because life is better without it for me. Yeah. And you know, you were talking about the restaurant thing. I always feel this is so, so dumb. It's my life, my body, my money. (laughs) First of all, it's so much more expensive to drink when you go out to eat. But second of all, I always feel like I'm a disappointment to the server when I don't drink. Oh, me too. No, no, no. This was (laughs) like, I'm so sorry. I'll tip you really good though. I promise. (laughs) Somebody was just talking about this in one of my meetings yesterday, and I feel the same way. Um, but it's so funny because, like, when I would go out to eat and not drink, like it was lunch or something, yeah. I would be like, "Oh, well, I cannot get a diet coke because that's like two dollars and like oh, yeah. water." Like, I'm always overthinking, like, "Can I get a diet coke?" And but when I go out to dinner, it's like, "Oh, I think I will have those two eight dollar martinis or whatever, like twelve, like, fifteen, whatever." I just just throw my money away for alcohol, and it's all for the feeling. I yeah. want that tipsy feeling. It's super fun. I want it. And, but like it, it, there's so many downsides to it. And for me, it made me depressed. Like I would get depressed later. Um, I would feel like it, I felt that it had power over me. Um, you know, and a lot of times this would happen at mom and dad's house and we would go for the day for the pool or at Christmas or whatever. Um, and so that is still a trigger for me when I go there. Cause I always know there's alcohol there. Oh yeah. Dad's always got beer and Shelby's always got vodka. And so, um, I know it's there. Um, and I'm not usually around it that much. Yeah. I mean, so again, this isn't like an alcohol, this isn't to like alcohol shame you. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat probably as most of the listeners where I, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say most of the listeners, maybe some of you don't drink at all, but I'm in a place where I, again, like I said, I probably drink like three-ish times a week, give or take the week. Um, and you know, like you were saying the other day, I went to the Indy 500 on Sunday. Yeah. And I probably had three drinks, but I, I rode my bike home and then I like didn't drink the rest of the night. And I was saying, and I felt fine and I had like my sleepy time tea and everything. Um, but Glenn continued to have drinks and I could tell his um, fuse with the kids was so much shorter than mine. And that's, I guarantee that's why. Right. Well, and yeah, and in that kind of a situation too, um, on another note, like for me, I might've gone home and like wanted more. Um, and that would turn into a disaster. I would a hundred percent get in a fight with my husband. Um, I would a hundred percent end up crying, um, probably end up feeling sick and depressed. Um, so that could have turned into that for me that might have been what would have happened. I don't know. Maybe not. I've had plenty of times where that didn't happen. Um, but it was always a gamble. Um, and then another thing I was going to say is just that I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes you have to like really prepare drinks. Well, I have to, I have to like do it this way so that I don't feel sick or, you know, I've always like, Oh, I don't want to drink, but like I have to drink because I'm going to this thing. Yeah. And it's like, so you like hydrate extra drink, take some Tylenol beforehand. And so there's this phrase that I learned from Laura McCowan that was like, it's not like I don't get to drink. It's I don't have to drink. I don't have to drink. Yeah. And I've thought that often because there's so many times where it's a problem. I'm like, no, no, you don't have to drink. 
it actually doesn't make everything better. When you start to experience things that you only did drinking as a sober person, you start to realize that it wasn't the drinking. It was the experience. If you go to a concert and you don't drink, I've done it. You don't have to pee 12 times. And, and I've done, it's happened to me. I go to a concert. I'm not drinking. I go, why do I feel drunk right now? It's because it wasn't the drunk. It was, it was the fun. It was the experience. Exactly. And people think that they can't have fun without drinking, but it's really the people and the experience and what you're doing that is making it fun, not the alcohol. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking about that at the 500 because I kind of felt like, actually, didn't really feel like drinking, but it was kind of like, eh, everybody was, had some jello shots. They were mild jello shots. And then, you know, you just hold a beer while you watch it. And I was like, actually think it's like one o'clock in the afternoon right now. I actually think I'd rather just have like a really good coffee, (laughs) but it's not the norm to have a really good coffee at the Indy 500. It's the norm to have beer or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know what? This experience actually I think would be better with that and then ride my bike home and then have a glass of wine by the fire if I want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like fired up and like, I'm really there to see the drivers, but Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like a lot of societal pressure there. Well, and I will say when I first did this, I was terrified to tell anybody like I was terrified to admit that I thought that I might have some kind of a problem because I thought people were going to think I was like an alcoholic and like I was a bad mom. And I was so the only people I told really were um, my best friend and my husband and they both, you know, were kind of like, you know, they weren't worried about me because, obvi- like I said, it didn't affect my life. But I was like, no, look, I have a problem. And so ultimately, I ended up telling my Bible study group, my girls in my Bible study, and that was sort of the pathway to becoming more open about it. And now the reason I'm doing this interview, the reason I talk about it more openly online is because I want to erase the stigma. I want to yeah. erase same. Like you can talk about struggling with alcohol. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom. It doesn't mean that you're going to get your kids taken away from you. Like it's an addictive substance. If you're struggling with it, you can talk about it and you can talk about it and you can still drink and you can wrestle with it and you can be sober curious. Um, and if you want to stop, you can, or you don't have to, you can try different things, but like, don't, don't push it down and don't not talk about it because the more you talk about it, the more freedom you find. And so, I just, I'm sick of people not talking about it. Like, that's the one thing about AA. It's supposed to be anonymous and it's all this big secretive thing. But it's like, I'm talking about it. I went to AA, you know, like I've done shameful things when drinking. I've done not, I've done fun things when drinking. I still like have great memories of wonderful experiences drinking, but, um, but in but the But not end, the ones me, you don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, there's a whole bunch I don't remember. And I, you know, in college I used to get like kicked out of bars because I like fall asleep at the bar. So I mean. <laughs> I mean, that's just one of many, It's many not funny. Stories. It's not funny. Yeah. And but... Lindsay has seen me at almost my worst, probably. And so is Glenn. So. I'm always like, the worst <laughs> drunk is the drunk that's like crying at the bar at 2 a.m. Yeah. Oh, that's 100%. Get out of me. my life. I'm trying to have fun. 100% <laughs> that has been me. So. Well, um, so I'm super curious about, about the lifestyle and stuff. And I mean, I think I am coming from it from a different place. I never, I've never blacked out, not once. And I've definitely made bad choices, but... Like, I think I've always had like a pretty good grasp on it, but like, I don't, I don't want to fall into the trap of drinking six days a week again, because that's just the norm, you know? I'm very calculated with my drinking. Like, you remember we used to always talk about this? I'm like very calculated with how I pace myself and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I get to the point where I'm like, I know I'm peaking and now I need to chug water. And so like, it's always been like a super game. Yeah. But also like. Just because I, I feel like I haven't had like those those deeper struggles that you had with, with the blacking out and things like that, um, 
like you said, if you're thinking about it and like you have to like, you know, actively be like, am I going to, am I not? Like, and it's filling up space in your brain that ultimately fuels anxiety. Like then it is something to consider making changes on, I think. Right. Right. Yes. And, and okay. So there's two things I want to say right now. So number one is I, you know, as I'm talking about this, I I do feel a little extra self-conscious because, you know, sort of my brand brand online, I hate that terminology, but it is that I, you know, I'm a Christian author and I am in that Christian faith space. And so it feels a little weird to be talking about all this like drunken things that I've done. And so for anyone that's listening, that is from that space of my life, I want to say that I also think, and I'm starting to delve into this a little more, that it it is very unspoken of in the faith world and the Christian world because it's even more sort of shame, like sort of like a shameful thing in our heads. Um, So anyway, all that being saying, like nobody would ever think these things, like things that I um, sort of, I'm going to be writing about my next book. Like there are things that I'm going to admit in there that like no one ever think about me. Yeah. Like, and probably things that people, some people listening would never have thought some of the things I said today. And so it makes me a little self-conscious. Um, but number two is that um, the, the reason I was able to ha- get any time under my belt is because I, I read somewhere someone said, yeah, anybody can do 30 days. You can white knuckle it through 30 days. I think you've got to do 90 if you want to really know what it feels like to change your life. Is that what and- they say, 90 days to make a real habit or is it 30 days? Well, they say like 21 days. Oh, is that what they but, say? Okay. But, they, the experts. But in terms of, of giving up alcohol, somebody said, you've got to do 90 days if you want to know what it really feels like to give it up. And so um, I committed to 90 days. That's what I did. And then once I got to 90, I was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm so close to 100. Like, let, let's just get to 100. And so then that's why I got to the six months. Um But just all that being said, like, don't be overwhelmed by the 90 days thing. Like, just start with 30 or just start with like 10. Annie Grace, Annie Grace says in her book or her program, she's like, read the book while you're still drinking. I don't care. Right, right, right. She's like, she talks about in the book how she experimented with, she said, I wasn't drinking. And so I decided I'm just going to get drunk and like really evaluate myself. And like, she put a camera on herself to see how she acted. And she was just experimenting, like, what do I really think about this? Do I really like this or am I fooling myself? You're fooling so anyway, yourself. Yeah. You're fooling yourself. So anyway, totally the number one book I recommend if you're sober curious is This Naked Mind, Annie Grace, or go to her website. She's got a million programs. She's got the free 30-day challenge. That is the best place to start. Um, and then I have read of like every sober memoir out there and <laughs> I love reading them. So if you want those recommendations. I have a few of those. We'll put them in the show notes. Um, And lastly, we're going to wrap up with end of podcast questions. But I think that one of the things I like to ask myself before I have a drink is, am I numbing something or am I like doing this because I'm having a fun experience right now? Right? So Mm -hmm. if my friends are coming over and we're sitting around the bonfire, that's probably for a fun experience. But if it's Tuesday and it's six and I got, and I'm like, Oh, I want to get through dinner and get all these kids to bed. I'm probably numbing like what I, my anxiety and like what I, uh, for like my everyday life and what I have to go through. So, um, that's one of the things I've been doing since I've been like really cognizant of my alcohol behaviors is like, what's my purpose right now? And I think if, if I can identify that I can get a really healthy grip on if it really makes sense if I should have a drink or not. So, um, yeah. 
and again, and, and for listeners, like I'm not, I'm not quitting drinking <laughs> and I'm not shaming you for drinking and you'll continue to probably to see me having wine and my Instagram stories or whatever, but I am definitely, definitely taking heavy consideration into the why, the when, and, and, the, and all of that. So, um, okay, Erica, uh, what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? It's hard to say that I haven't done yet. I mean, I think I would just like to continue. I would like to write more books. I would like to write another book after this. I actually sort of been feeling like that my next book might be related to this topic. <laughs> so yes, we'll I think see. it should. We'll see. I've got this other book that's going to be coming out next year. And then once that happens, I can start thinking about the next one. I'm always thinking about the next thing. So I guess just writing another book would be What's the main goal? Do you have the title of your new book? No. Okay. I'm not um, going to say the tentative title yet. Okay. Um, and then what is the best, most recent book you've read? It doesn't have to be related to this specific topic. Oh, um, Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher is an amazing book. It's nonfiction and it's not going to be for everybody. <laughs> it's mostly, I mean, it's written for Christians, but it's, he basically interviewed a bunch of people that used to live under communism and um, it's it's not necessarily about politics at all. It's really just more about what that was like and um, you know, what to be aware of. And I'm not a crazy person, but it is an amazing book. (laughs) What is, do you have a best, most recent book? That's like, what was like a fun read that you just flew through? Like I just read the four winds by Kristen Hanna. It's so, so good. Well, I pretty much, never read fiction you should I, have, <laughs> I know you always I know I want should. to read I have so much nonfiction that I want to read um so I don't know that I actually do have a fun book but I will just recommend um on the track of today's interview we are the luckiest by Laura McCowan um great read she worked with Allie Fallon on the book I think and um okay don't quote me on that but I I think she did and Who's that? Allie is Fallon- that Allie Fallon is a writing coach. Um, I actually took coaching from her to write my current book. Um, and anyway, it's just, it's a great book. And um, I highly recommend it if you're interested in this topic. So we have to pick one, Laura McCowan's book or Annie Grace's? Oh, oh, Annie Grace's for- Do hers first. Okay. For, yeah, if you're sober curious, that's the number one book that you want to go to. And okay. just follow Annie on- social media. She's so great. Listen to the podcast interview that I did with her. Yeah. You'll love her. She's better at talking about this than I am. And she is so non-judgmental and welcoming and encouraging and empowering. Like you won't walk away feeling like condemned or anything. You'll just walk away being like, Oh, that's interesting. And I hope and you don't really, feel like that from this interview. I mean, this yeah, is I like- mean, it's, it's hard to, I, I, I know that I can maybe sometimes come across as in a way that I don't want to, but I think the, the key word here is just be curious, just be curious, ask yourself questions. Like, and then follow the questions. Um, okay. Do you have a best, uh, kids book you recommend? Um, oh, gosh. Yes. Yes, I do. And it is by Matthew Paul Turner. I know the title. Hold on. Hold oh, on. Jessica Turner's ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I love this book so much. I have told so many people to read it. It is called When I Pray For You. Okay. And actually all of his books are, are his, um, is he mostly just a kid's author? I think so. I don't know if he's written any adult books, but he has like four or five kids books and they are all 
gorgeous and just beautiful. And this one is my absolute favorite when I pray for you. I literally have cried multiple times reading it to my kids. Okay, this is our last question. What is your last message you want to leave with the audience today? I guess just be curious. Don't be curious. Don't judge yourself. Um, go where your questions lead you and know that like whether it's drinking or something else, um, there are people that want to help you answer the questions and there are people to support you always. And so um, don't fight any battle alone. That's so good. You guys didn't know my sister was so cool. Thanks, Erica. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Erica, for coming on the show. You guys can find everything we talked about in the show notes. They're over at sandyboyproductions.com. Just go to the tab, Why Is Everyone Yelling? And you'll find the show notes with all the book recommendations over there. If you want to be added to our email list so that you can get those show notes dropped to your inbox every week, just email us and let us know you want to be added. Emma at sandyboyproductions.com is my assistant. She'll get you added. Or you can just shoot us a DM on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling Over There? We'll get you added. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Yikes. I know. it's a, it's, I feel like a sensitive topic, but I'm super curious to hear what you all thought. And yeah, if you enjoy this podcast, leave us a quick rating and review and let us know your thoughts. And yeah, we'll see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling? Thanks for being here.